Welcome to the 1000 Hours Outside podcast. My name is Ginny Urich. I am the founder of 1000 Hours Outside and here today with the famous John Acuff. Welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jenny. Yeah, we're here to talk about queso. Yeah, totally. I, uh, I, I spoke at an event yesterday and there was queso next to me for the luncheon and I couldn't eat it because I knew I'd spill it on me. And it was <laughs> that was a temptation to have it that close. I mean, yeah, but I, I'm a pro. I fought through. Yeah, you're gonna have to like uh, send people ahead of time. The queso can't be out. Invisible yeah, well, I should have put that after. in my rider. I put. Yes, should have put exactly. that in my rider. Keep it 20 feet away from me. Like yes. that's funny. Have you had the Costco queso? Oh, ponchos. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are you seriously asking that question right now? Of course. <laughs> I'm sorry. Of sorry. Course. I said my husband's yeah, yeah. a fan. I got away. I love that. Yeah, of course. Like that's okay. kind of like, oh, you like sneakers. Have you heard of Nike? Of course I've heard of Nike. Yeah. You heard of Michael Jordan? Okay. He's doing pretty good at sneakers. <laughs> All right. My apologies. We put it on broccoli even. So that's amazing oh, yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, thank you, John. Thanks for being here. It just thrilled to be able to talk to you. So um, let me read a little bit of your bio for people who don't know. You're the New York Times best-selling author of eight books including soundtracks the surprising solution to overthinking the wall street journal number one bestseller finish give yourself the gift of john you are a writer you have a popular podcast all it takes is a goal you can be found on stage as one of inc's top 100 leadership speakers you have been at conferences and spoken with companies like fedex range rover microsoft nokia and comedy central and you live in tennessee with your wife jenny and yep. Ellie and McCray. Yep. Yes. We live outside of Nashville. We're like 20 minutes outside of Nashville. Awesome. Very awesome. Uh, we love Nashville. We're coming down for a conference in Franklin. That's where we live. We live in, uh, in September. So at yeah. the, it's called the factory. Oh yeah. Super it's cool. Real, Super real cool. cool place there. So we're excited to be there with the wild. Where are you guys food. based? We're in Michigan. So not right. too, you know, it's an eight hour drive to hop down to Tennessee. Which part of Michigan? Like mitt wise. We're not in a cool spot. We're like here. <laughs> You know, okay. uh, south of southeast, the best the best side is the west side where okay. you're on Lake Michigan. And that's yep. not where we are. But we drive over there quite a bit because it's just Michigan's beautiful. It's Michigan's beautiful. beautiful. We've done Mackinac and Sleeping yeah. Bear Dunes and Kalamazoo and Grand Rapids and mm-hmm. Troy and Utica. Like I've been all over Michigan. You have. Yeah. yeah. It's especially beautiful over on the lake side. So John's so accomplished and you have a new book that is coming out that you wrote with your daughters, which I think is mm-hmm. so cool. I've got it. I've got an advanced copy here called Your New Playlist and it is geared toward teens. So can you tell us, tell us about this one and how you ended up writing a book with your kids? That's so special. Yeah. So I had a book called Soundtracks that I wrote that was about mindset. So we did a big study um, into overthinking and mindset and realized we asked 10,000 people if they struggle with overthinking. I have a PhD named Mike Peasley that I work with on research. And so he and I did this big study and 99.5% of people said, yes, they, they struggle with overthinking. So it's one of those things. Everybody thinks they're the only one that does it. And then you find out everybody does it. And so wrote this book called soundtracks about that. And, and I've, I've written at that point, I'd written seven books and it was the first book I'd ever written that parents came out of the woodwork and said, Hey, do you have a version for kids? Do you have a version for students? And that never happened to me before. And I started to notice broken soundtracks with kids, with teenagers. So we were at a swim meet, for instance, and a girl got out of the pool and said to her mom, I'm the slowest swimmer on the team. I'll never get better. Um, Everyone is better than me. And then she walked away and my wife and I looked at each other and said, oh, those are just some broken soundtracks. She can change that. And a soundtrack is my phrase for a repetitive thought, something you listen to over and over and over again. Then I remembered... 
I remember that 10 years ago, I used to speak at a bunch of camps for kids. So sixth graders up to rising seniors. And I would ask them, write down your thoughts. Like I would hand out pieces of paper. I said, write down your thoughts. And they turned them in anonymously. And I had a box of them on my shelf for 10 years, thousands of them. And when I started to get curious about this book, I remembered, oh, wait a second. I have a thousands of points of data from real teenagers, real students, real kids from across the country. And we started to sort through them and you start to learn things like the number one word that appears on more cards than any other, more, more kids think this word than any other is enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not popular enough. I'm not rich enough. And so we started to see the need for it. And then I I had my kids write the book because if I, as an adult wrote it, it would have sounded like an adult trying to seem young. I haven't been a kid in 40 years. I haven't been a teenager in 30 years. And I didn't want it to be like, hello, fellow youths. Like, well, you know, what is going, you guys use scooters more than skateboards. I was a skateboard generator. Like it was like, I don't mean to be so lit. It would have been so whack. And so I wanted it to be authentic and helpful to a younger audience. So I asked the younger audience I knew best, my 16 year old daughter. And at the time, my 18 year old daughter to write the book and allow me to edit it. And that's how the book came about. What drew me in is I had read this book. It's by another John, John Holt. He's long since passed, but he has all these books about learning and growth and childhood. And one of the things that really changed my life was he had this paragraph where he was talking about how kids need to get some sense of the processes by which things are done, that sometimes they're so far removed. How do you build a table? What is that process like from start to finish? And so he says, we have to be bringing our children sort of up at higher and higher levels into the adult world Mm -hmm. so that they know how it works. And then he says, if you have no skills, which I think a lot of us relate to that too, he says, learn something and let your kids see you learning. And so I was very intrigued to see that you had written a book with your daughters. I think that's an exact instance example of what this John was talking about. So how did that process go? Did you have to help them a lot? Were they excited about it? Yeah. I mean, I think they're, I mean, they're like any normal teenager. What's funny is when we've done podcasts with them on it, they'll sometimes ask questions like, what's it like to have such an amazing wise dad? Like, I'm assuming you get wisdom at the dinner table. And they're like, uh, so like we're a family, like any other family, like there was times when they were like, this is a long chapter. Like, I don't want to finish this or like the other day. So one of the things that was a pre-order bonus was a book plate. So we signed book plates that would go inside the book. And if you pre-ordered, you got an autograph and it was me, Ellie and McCray. And there were 2000 of them. That was a lot of things to sign. Like they had never. And so it quickly became, this is a task and this is something we're going to do together. It's How like do we val- do that? It's like Valentine's on steroids, you know, like yeah. you got to get your kids to do 25 Valentines for the class and they're happy exactly. about the first it was 2000. <laughs> yeah, it was 2000. And so I think that's been fun to see them go, oh, this takes work. Mm-hmm. Oh, excellence takes effort. Like, oh, you know, like, cause, and then I think as far as us learning, like mindset's a skill I've been practicing. Like mm-hmm. I benefited from the writing of soundtracks because it really challenged me about how I think about me and how I think about hope and how I think about the future. And so they've been able to see me over the last few years work on that. So writing this book was also another chance to them for them to go, okay, great thoughts don't happen accidentally. Like I always say like nothing amazing happens accidentally. I've never met somebody that accidentally got in shape where they said, I was binge watching Netflix. I looked up next thing I knew I was doing burpees. I don't even remember getting off the couch. Like great marriages don't happen accidentally. Mm. Great families don't happen accidentally. So I think it was a chance for them to say, wow, 
books don't happen accidentally. There's a lot of steps. There's a lot of parts. Um, it, it was a great thing the other day where my, my daughter and I were going up to speak in Chicago. We were going to speak to 200 students and they were probably, I would say nine to 16 years old. And we went to the, went to the airport and our flight got delayed, delayed, delayed until eventually we had to drive home and fly the next morning. Mm-hmm. And I, I said to her, that's a great lesson because that's part mm-hmm. of doing what I do involves canceled flights. And I said, and I got mm-hmm. to say as a parent, part of the challenge and growth of life is you're really detailed and you plan and you focus, but you have to be really flexible too. And it feels like those are two different things to hold in your hands at the same time, because I had to plan and I'd planned that flight for months and then weather said, nope. And so we had to be flexible enough with a good attitude to go. We just had the most expensive, not delicious lunch at the airport. Like we went to lunch together at the airport and Mm -hmm. now we're leaving. Like we paid for parking. We paid (laughs) for lunch. Yay. And now we get, yeah. And we had to get up at 4 a.m. to catch the new morning flight. We wouldn't have picked that one on purpose, but it was, again, another one of those, like, we do hard things together. We work mm-hmm. on our attitudes because they don't come naturally. Um, so so let's learn that together. So there's been a million of those moments. Yeah, I love it. I think I was so intrigued by that because our kids get so much out of life when we're able to model it for them and then mm-hmm. bring them in. And I don't think it happens as much as it should because you know all these people that are so talented and so engaging and doing all these cool things. And it's like, let's bring the kids in where we can and give them yeah. a touch point so that they can have those different experiences we had um, a friend of ours it's an author on the podcast a while back anyway it's kids books it's they're called the green ember series and our kids really like the book so i had a couple kids in on the podcast and oh, fun. you know they were excited but then afterward they said their face hurt they had to smile more than they were expecting yeah. you know but yeah, yeah. but to have these experiences and yeah. then i think as they grow older it's not quite so scary. So I just love that about your book that you included your daughters. I, I love that one of them was saying, you know, hopefully this helps me with my college. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Well, that's the thing, Jenny. Like I think you and I believe a lot of the same things. So I believe in giving kids reps before they need the rep. Mm-hmm. So like, I, you know, one of the statements we say at our house is if you want a kind 16 year old, teach a six year old kindness and give 10 years to practice. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a principle where, I want my kids to try things, experiment, learn things versus wait until they're in their 20s to go. Now it's my time to try. Like, I'd love them to have a 10 year head start on understanding how they're wired, how they're made. And you can start to do that as a parent when they're in the safety and the comfort of your house and where the mistake they make won't cost as much when they're 26 and they make the mistake or they're 36 and make the mistake. And they've had 10 years to go. I'm trying stuff. I'm learning stuff. I think that's part of launching a kid. My wife Mm -hmm. always says, we're not raising kids. We're raising adults. And so how do you know, what does that look like? And so I think that's, what's fun for conversations like ours is that we overlap on so many things when Mm -hmm. it comes to parenting. Yeah. I, um, for me, I, anything that I had even a a remote brush with as a child, I have a different level of confidence with as an adult and things that I had no exposure to as a child, I struggle with as an adult. So I think of that sometimes where it doesn't have to be monumental. It just has to be a little bit. You you sat in on one podcast, you flew to one trip and got to speak to a group of people. Those little brushing shoulders with these different experiences in life seem to have a big impact. I think what we're teaching kids is that less things are impossible than they think. So now my kids will never think writing a book is impossible. That's over. Like they've done that. That's over. 
Um, so I think part of our job as parents is showing them things aren't impossible and giving them a chance to learn that and experience that and go, oh, I can start a business. Like I started one when I was like, there were five steps and maybe there's 10 steps when I'm an adult, but I've already done the five. So I can, you know, this is my second business. This is my third, you know, whatever it is. And so I love that approach to, to parenthood. Mm-hmm. And the way of the world is going toward entrepreneurs. That's what they say. So it's awesome. Congrats on doing a book with your daughters. Oh, I think that piece of it, the book is written for teens, a primarily yeah. a teen audience, but I think the concept of the book is very inspiring to parents. And it makes me think, and I think it will make others think of what are some ways that I can draw my child into what I do and give them experiences that they wouldn't have had otherwise. I love the, um, there's this concept in the book of just throwing a $20 bill (laughs) at the end of it. And I know you're big about books. You have a thing about trying to read a hundred books in a year. So do you think parents actually do that? I never heard of that idea. Yeah. It's funny. I just did another podcast with a friend named Allie Worthington and she said, we, and she said this on the podcast, so I'm not speaking out of turn, but she said, we, one of our kids just isn't good at body language. Like he, the way he's wired, he naturally looks grumpy and it sets him up for Hmm. awkward situations where people like your son was so mad and, and you find out like, no, he wasn't, he just wasn't aware of his body language. Mm -hmm. So she said, we paid him $20 to read the book captivate by Vanessa Van Edwards about how you present. And it was eye-opening for him and it was helpful for him. So I think I, when you ask me, do parents do that? I know they do that because I know parents that do that. I'm a parent that does that. Mm-hmm. I just think that there's nothing wrong with incentivizing change you want to see in the same way as you as a parent get paid to go to work. Like yes. you get paid to do your job. So the idea that you go, I want my teenager or I want my kid to do something really challenging with no incentive other than they better do it. Like that's not how your life works. Why would you force that on your kid? I'm not saying you have to pay for everything. My hope is always you start with that and then they learn to love reading or they learn to love the thing or they learn to try the thing. So it's not like we're throwing twenties all around our house, but I mean, our version, we came up with a list of 15 books that we didn't feel like they're reading in school that were important books. And we paid a flat fee and it was all or none. So it wasn't, it wasn't that if you read seven, you get it prorated. No, 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 no. It was a flat fee. Like, and, and a a neighbor of ours, uh, Kevin queen, Mm. he paid his son a thousand dollars. If he ran a mile every day for a year. And the kid did it and it was in the paper and it was this huge like rain or shine. And, and it was this amazing experience that the sun felt like, I think that we're, I'm always looking for like, what are some Eagle Scout moments? I wasn't an Eagle Scout. It's so easy as a parent to look back on life and go, I wish I had done this. I didn't know it. I was a grumpy teenager. It would have been hard to get me to do stuff. Like I was pretty sullen. Um, But like, wow, I see the benefit of something like an Eagle Scout or wow, I wish I had been on the cross country team because I didn't learn I liked running until I was in my mid thirties. And it would have been so fun to run in the fall. And I grew up in Massachusetts, would have been a beautiful sport, whatever. So you have these moments as a parent and then you go, how do I help my kids engage in those things early? earlier than I might've engaged, not to fix my regrets with their life, but to invite them into discovering what they care about. And so whether it's a $20 bill or a flat fee, I love being creative like that. Cause That's I think super it, interesting. it keeps your kids engaged. Yeah. I had a, I used to teach high school and there was one student I had where her dad paid her $200 if she got straight A's 
and yeah, I don't know how, what I think about this now. I it goes, yeah. I go back and forth with it. You can go back, you can go back and forth, yeah. But the point was, and, you, and it was it. That was the deal. If you get straight yeah. A's, you get two hundred dollars per semester. I think it was. And I just remember thinking, if you can graduate high school with a four you have a lot more opportunities for scholarships and yeah. and all. Oh, sorts that was of a things. discount was, for him. Yes, he was ahead in that because, yes. like, it, our, <laughs> my daughter. Lot got a great ACT score because a lot of the ACT is a reading, reading comprehension. So of course her reading like 30 classic books, cause she did it twice. Once she did it, she was like, is that deal still good? And we are like, we'll come up with 15 more. Let's go. Wow. So like, and it didn't hurt my heart that she's at the neighborhood pool and somebody else is on TikTok and she's reading catch 22 or, you know, she's reading my Antonia or thousand years of solitude or whatever the book was like. Wow. And I was like, look at her going. Cause she's like, and I don't think it works the same for every kid in the same way that nothing mm -hmm. works the same for every kid. Like right. I, I had a friend say, not every kid should get their license at the same time because some kids at 16 are so ready for the driver's license and some are ready at 17. Mm -hmm. um, it's the same with phones and any kind of responsibility. So mm -hmm. I'm not saying it's a one size fits all. Cause I don't think there's anything in parenting that's necessarily one size fits all but it's a great way to explore something with your kid. Eating better is easy with Factors' delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. So get started today and get after your goals. Some of the things we love about Factor are their two-minute meals. You can fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. Our kids love the pancakes, smoothies, and more. And there's a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, including midday bites. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. And remember, to sign up and save, we've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash outside50 and use code outside50 to get 50% off. That's code outside50 at factormeals.com slash outside50 to get 50% off. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Question, what's the first thing you do if you had an extra hour in your day? Read a few chapters of that book, start painting that guest bedroom, tackle that pile of laundry, play a card game with your kids. A lot of us spending our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. If you're feeling stuck, therapy is something that can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. Therapy is a wonderful thing. It can help you learn positive coping skills or show you how to navigate properly setting boundaries. With BetterHelp, it's easy to get started. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try and visit BetterHelp.com slash 1000 hours to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash 1000 hours. Now, it's fascinating. And like you said, it's a long-term investment because it's helping with 
you know, I used to talk to my high schoolers about if you look at your your life like a timeline, this little four year piece is so small. And yet it affects the whole rest of it. It affects all of this. And a B is different than a C is different than a D is different than straight A's. You know, I don't know if it's the way it should be, but it is the way that it is. And those things matter. So I love that thought of just slipping the 20 at the end of the book. And it got brought up a couple of times. And I thought it was just a neat thought and a neat idea. Well, my goal, my goal with it is, to be honest with you, I think what will happen with the book is that I think parents will read it. Um, and I hope it gives them a couple of entries to conversations with their kids. Mm. I think what we've seen already with parents is it gives them a language, uh, a, yeah. a shorthand to go, Hey, I think that might be a broken soundtrack. Like, Hey, I think that might, you know, or here's a soundtrack we, you know, in our family, it'll give a parent a pause to go, what are the soundtracks I do? Like one of the things I challenge parents on is not saying that you hate your job to your kids. I hate my job, hate my job, hate my job. Because what happens is you demonize work for 18 years and then you act surprised when your kid graduates college and doesn't want to get a job. Well, of course they don't. For 18 years, you told them work is terrible, work is terrible. I hate work. And then you're surprised your kid doesn't want to go to work. So little things like that. So I think what will happen is parents will read it. I think it'll give them a shorthand and I think it'll give them a conversation with their teenagers. So the reality is, I think more parents will read it than teenagers. Interesting. But I'm I'm okay with that. Yeah. I I love that because I think it's going to give parents a tool into understanding their mm-hmm. kids and give them some tools to talk about it with their kids. What I always tell parents is like don't give the book to the kid the wrong way. So, an example of that like marriage-wise, any wife who gives their book up their husband a book on like, "Hey, I heard a sermon on rage and it made me think of you, so here's a book about anger, going to put it on your nightstand." That dude is not reading that book. So, I think we have to be very like I learned that with, you know, I had a book called Do Over and you couldn't give a friend that because it felt like Hey, this book is like for people that fail at life. I thought it made me think of you. Would you like, like, so I, I really just think it's going to give parents a great conversation Mm -hmm. starter and they're going to figure out a way to go. I'm going to, I'm going to see if I can get my kid to read this. I'm going to invite them into this conversation and see what happens. Uh, And it's perfect. It's perfect for that age, the size of it, the length of it. And there's a lot to be said about learning from other teenagers. And, you know, especially if you've got, you know, our oldest is 14, they're always looking up. That's just the way that kids are. And they're looking up. And so I think that that format of the book and talking about their real things that they're going through, which we did not go through. We did not go through social media following us home. There are so many pressures. Adolescence is full of pressure. I remember it. But then I look at it now and I think it, it has gotten so much harder with all these different pressures that kids are not able to escape from. And so to have your daughters in there talk about the different things that they're doing and dealing with is very relatable to whoever is going to be reading it. That's what I was proud of with McCray, my youngest daughter. So she got cut from the lacrosse team, mm-hmm. um, which was her identity, which was she she was so into lacrosse. And she got a text message and got cut from it, which was really, really hard. And about a week later on her own, she said, Dad, I think we should put that story in the book because I think other kids will get cut from stuff. Like yeah. they won't, you know, they won't get to sit at the popular table in eighth grade. They won't make the team. Mm-hmm. They might not get into the college they want. They might not get into the sorority one and they go to college. Yeah. And so I asked the coach if we could do that. And he was so gracious and said, oh, it was so hard to cut her. And mm-hmm. he said, you know, can I have some copies of the book for my teenagers? That'll really help our team because he's working with teenagers. And so that's the first chapter is starts with that text message. And I think that's part of the relatable thing. But it first took McCray being brave enough to go. I think I'm willing to say I got cut. I'm willing yeah. to share that. And I think other, other students, other kids will be helped by that. So yeah, I, I hope that comes through. 
Right, absolutely. And it is a different culture that they're growing up in. It's a culture that's more preparatory. Starting at such young ages, we're preparing them for college and and how are you going to apply? Sports is the same thing, right? And so to put that in there is very relatable. Well, think about like, that was one of the surprises is how many kids already feel it's too late. Like that was surprising to me. And they, like, I remember my, my oldest daughter, when she was nine, felt like it was too late to be on the swim team because other kids had started at five. And so like, we start kids on these tracks at like the womb, like they're in the maternity ward playing travel baseball. And you're like, the kid is still in diapers, but he's swinging that bat. And so then a nine-year-old goes, it's too late. And you want to say like, Oh, you have so like the runway is so long. Like, what do I do to help you see that? Mm-hmm. And so I think that's part of the, the preparatory way we live sometimes is that a kid feels a pressure that we might, I never felt we didn't have that. No, right. I didn't have that. I was like, if I wanted to play baseball at 12, okay, let's go trial for baseball. Right. I hadn't missed 10 years in my, in my experience and mm-hmm. swim team. It's so apparent because they put you in those lanes based on oh, your yeah. ability. So you yeah. could be in a, you could be 10 and you're in, in a lane with the four year olds. Oh yeah. With oh, a kid uh, with a kickboard. Yeah. You're over with the kids with the kickboards that are like trying to not drown. And like, this is not, this is humble. I mean, and you don't move up until you're at that skill level. So you could be this, you know, real old kid and you've got kids that are way younger yeah. down in lane six. And so yeah. it's a very glaring, especially oh, you I know. Think, on the you swim know. team. Yes. Yeah. 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 You no, it's yeah. so true. Yeah, so it was a brilliant idea to to have it written from their life experience because they're going to relate to kids that are growing up today. There was one line in the book that the whole book is fantastic. So many great ideas, and like you said, bouncing off of your book for adults. But there's one line in the book that I keep going back to as an adult, and like you said, it's going to be great for for teens. It's going to be great for tweens and for adults. But the one line that I keep going back to is, "I didn't have a single one star review." until I wrote this book with my dad and McRae. I keep yeah. thinking about that because yeah. you have to be brave. You have, yeah. to be will- if you have to be willing to get the one-star review yeah. or you do nothing. So it came in the section of people in the game always get criticized by people in the stands. And my husband had reminded me of this story that you had shared a while back that him and I had talked about on the Greg McCowan podcast. Yep. about this meetup that you did. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so for people who don't know, know that story, yeah. can you share that one? Yeah, totally. Um, so when I first started, I had a blog. I had a blog where I was writing kind of satire, funny things. And it gained some momentum. And I thought, I'm going to do a meetup. Because like I kept hearing about all these other bloggers doing like meetups. You got to do a meetup. Um, and so there was an event in town called Catalyst. I lived in Atlanta at the time. And I wasn't speaking at the event because no one knew I was a speaker yet except me. Like I hadn't done it, but I was like, I'm going to figure it out. You know, I can do it. That was a positive soundtrack for me. Mm -hmm. And so I said, hey, can I use a room for a meetup? And they're like, sure. So my in-laws printed a thousand stickers like about the blog. Like they were like, we're all in. We support you. So kind. I I bought all these Skittles like because I had made a joke about Skittles on the blog. And I was like, I'm going to give out Skittles. And my wife was like, I think you got enough Skittles. I was like, we're going to need more Skittles. Like I kept buying Skittles. (laughs) So I go to the room and I'm there for 90 minutes and two people show up. And one is my friend who comes to just be like, you can do it, buddy. And the other one was a random dad who was like, I don't read your podcast, but my, my, uh, my daughter does here, call her. And I had like an awkward 30 second phone call with his daughter. And then he left. And I think he took one sticker and I asked my friend, at least two. One yeah, yeah, you, or some Skittles. Can I offer you 11 pounds of Skittles? I got sir? some queso. <laughs> yeah. So dude, it was, 
And I had a friend, the friend that came take a picture of me surrounded by all those empty chairs because I wanted to remember that moment, but I also wanted to share that moment. So one of my soundtracks is it'll be a success or a story. Like it'll either work or I'll get a story. And that's not easy. Like I have to remind myself that. And when I shared that, that, that photo and I posted about it, it became my number one blog post because other people have that moment. And so like, I always joke, every real estate agent has had to do the cookie walk of shame where you overbake cookies for the open house and nobody comes and you have to carry them all back to your car and try not to eat them in sadness on the drive home. Like everybody's going to have a moment like that where your podcast doesn't get the listeners you thought it'd do, or you open a store for spices and nobody comes in to buy spices. And so I wanted to share that. And it was fun for me because 13 years later, I got to speak in the arena that that room was attached to. And I was three or 400 yards away talking to 8,000 people and nobody near knew it. Nobody there knew it, but me. And I was like, oh, that's right. And I didn't see that when I was in that moment. I didn't, it's not that I plotted that my way to that, Mm -hmm. but I got to experience that. And so I always encourage people go first, like share the photo, share the story, Mm -hmm. because the scars you share become lighthouses for other people who are headed to the same rocks. Mm -hmm. And so if you'll be brave enough to share them, and when you go first, you give everyone else the gift of going second. Even your kids, mm-hmm. it's hard to right. go first. It is, but you give your kids the gift of going second. You give your right. coworkers, your friends, your family. So that's what that moment was like for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it was again, it was one of those things. But I, I shared that photo yesterday. I spoke to a client, a oh, big company wow. in um, Missouri, and I shared mm-hmm. that because I, for leaders, where I relate it to leadership. I'll say old school leadership was if I share my weaknesses, people won't trust my strengths. New school leadership is if I pretend I don't have weaknesses, people won't trust my strengths. Mm -hmm. And so this generation can spot fake, I think, faster than any Mm -hmm. other generation. Like your kids know when you're faking, your friends know. And so moments like that are real and they they connect me to other people that are on the edge of of doing a moment and they need to know like, no, you're going to have some of those. And like Mm -hmm. you get you can come out on the other side and that's okay. Yeah, I keep popping back to it like a soundtrack, like the title of the book, because it's nerve wracking and, yeah, and of people, course. people roast you. You know, I we yeah. um, this podcast is newer for me. In fact, almost exactly a year I started. Um, well, I had it. I had the podcast. I had done six episodes by myself in the basement with my phone and a little microphone. Oh, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. my little kids, they're crying. I couldn't yeah. I put them to bed, but they're up in 45 minutes. It wasn't yeah. working. So I set it mm-hmm. aside. And then I had someone reach out, I was, you know, over a year later and said, Hey, you know, I want to, I'm launching this book and I want to be on your podcast. And I kind of thought, well, I don't really have one. I mean, I kind of do, and I've never done this before. And so it's nerve wracking and it's been up for a year. We've had sound issues and there was a couple of weeks, I think, where I had a pretty bad cold. So I had cough drops and then that's when people leave the reviews. (laughs) Sounds like she's chewing, you know, I mean, this is what I got. I'm like, these are, thank you, you know, all right. Um, but I, so I keep coming back to that, which is, that's the choice. The choice is to do nothing or to do it and get the one star. So you're going to get some one star reviews. There's going to be people who don't like what you do. And well, what's the other option? The other option is you don't do the thing. And so that's, that's the thing I try to look at it as that's the admission price. That's the admission price. Like there's, there's an admission price to to doing things you love. And one Mm -hmm. of them is that there's people that criticize it because now it's a thing that exists. Um, And and that's part of it. And so you go, but I wouldn't not write my book because of a one-star review. Like I wouldn't, 
raise my kids with countercultural approaches because somebody else is going to criticize. Like mm-hmm. I, like I would take care of my kids. Like you wouldn't mm-hmm. go, there's some strangers that I need to behave against. Like, and, and you go, no, like these are the kids I'm in. Like I'm raising these humans. Like I'm going to mm-hmm. do the challenging things, the challenging encouragements, the challenging principles, the boundaries, whatever. And I can't, let what's going to happen on the outside dictate what happens on the inside. Like Mm -hmm. imagine if you gave the outside of your house, the permission to change the inside of your house, you'd go, wow, my inside's going to be really not what I want it to be. And then like with criticism, that's the thing and the metaphor I always use for myself is like, imagine if a stranger drove down your street and saw your yard and was like, your yard is terrible. Your heart must be terrible too. Your yard is Mm -hmm. terrible. Your parenting must be terrible too. You'd go, that person's crazy. Who yells that driving down the street? I don't even know that person. But then a stranger does it on social media, Instagram, whatever. And you go, I should really allow that to dictate how I feel today. Mm-hmm. Like that person must know something. Like, no, they don't. If they mm-hmm. were driving down the highway and said it, you'd be like, what a weirdo. But right. because of social media, we overfocus on it. So I think, and it's a work in progress for me. It's, it's not that I'm immune to that. Um, it's by no means, does it not still like, it'll knock me off, you know, off my pace for a minute. But over the years, I've just seen like, no, like these books are happening. The podcast is happening. Mm-hmm. My family's going to happen. Like I can't worry about what other people think. Right. right. I love that part of the book. And like I said, it keeps popping back up in my mind. And I love what Ellie put. She said, fewer people are watching us than ever before. Why? Because they're all on their phones. I thought that yeah. was funny until you create something that exists and then yep. they are watching and then you have, you're opening yourself up to that criticism. Well, the other problem is that it's easy to leave a comment. Um, it's kind of, I think about it like this, like imagine if somebody threw a rock into a crowd, like the person who got hit by the rock would think about that rock a lot. The person mm-hmm. who threw it has probably already moved on. So the challenge is it's easy mm-hmm. to leave it and then they forget about it, but you don't forget about it. And so what my wife, one of her soundtracks, and she's like a soundtracks machine. She's amazing. She says, criticism that costs you costs nothing is worth nothing. So criticism that costs Ooh. nothing is worth nothing. So if it took somebody seven seconds to be a jerk on your Instagram caption, you should give it seven seconds of time. Now, if a close friend of mine who loves me and is part of my life and knows my story, if one of my running buddies comes over and goes, hey, man, like there's just some stuff I see right now that I don't know if you see it and I want to talk to you about it. And, you know, it's got me concerned, like that cost him a lot. That cost him relational equity. That cost him years of getting to a place where we trust each other. That cost him being brave. I need to respect that. I need to receive that. I need to process that. Like, that's different. The other thing that costs somebody seven seconds of going like, eh, this is dumb. I, I shouldn't give that my value because it, they didn't give me any value in that. And so I always remember criticism that costs nothing is worth nothing. Mm-hmm. It's good. It's good. Another another theme that has been rolling around in my mind since reading the book is this concept of switch, switch versus dial. Yeah. And yeah. how I think a lot of times in life, we think we can just flip a switch. Um, but really, life is about growth. So can you explain that concept yeah. of switch versus dial? That one's game changing for me. And that it that came from a guy named David, uh, David Thomas, who's the uh, he's one of the founders of Daystar, a counseling center for kids in Nashville. And one, I love that that's something that kids have access to, you know, mm-hmm. growing up as a kid, like I didn't, there was no counseling. Like I didn't, I didn't have access to that. And so it's so fun to see great centers like that help kids develop some tools for stress, for anxiety, 
Um, and so one day we were having coffee and I was talking to him about negative thoughts or broken soundtracks. And he said, John, the problem or the challenge is most people want there to be a switch. They want to find the one thing that turns it off forever. Mm -hmm. And adults do this. An adult version of this would be, I'm going to do yoga and yoga will fix it. And then you do yoga for a week and you feel a little less stressed. You're like, I fixed. And then a week later, life is stressful again, because that's what life does. And you go, ah, yoga wasn't the right switch. And perfectionism says, well, let's go look for another switch. Maybe mm -hmm. there's another one. And you just keep, that's why people change diets 50 times. That's why they, they mm -hmm. half read 50 books and go, this book will fix all my emotional problems. And like by chapter four, they're like, Oh, I still got problems. Maybe it's a different book, different book. And so he said, John, life is about a dial. So when your dial gets turned up to a 10, you do things that turn the dial back down. That's what life's about. And so where that launched me and, and my daughters was, what, what are our turn down techniques? What are the things we do when life gets loud? Now, the challenge is often that when we're stressed out, when life feels loud, we end up not doing those things if, unless we're, we're reminded of them. So like loneliness is one of those examples. Loneliness lies to and goes, you feel lonely right now. You should spend some time alone figuring out why. And you go, oh, no, that, that's not, that just creates more loneliness. Like I need to reach out to community. I need to be present in other people's lives. So what we encourage people to do is think about some turn down techniques. So it can be, you know, for me per personally, one, one of mine is like running or walking. I need some endorphins. So when I'm stressed, I got a stressful week. I need to make sure that I'm doing that. Um, friends, mm. I need to be in relationship with people that can, can tell me the truth about situations. I, I think of friends like archives, a good friend archives, your moments and repeats them back to you when you've forgotten. So sometimes when you're stressed, Jenny, you go, this is the hardest thing I've ever done. I've never done this before. And a good friend will go, wait a second. Remember like a year ago, we walked through a similar situation. Oh, I archived that for you. Remember that? And you go, Oh, you're right. I forgot. So good friends are archives lists. I love to keep lists when things are out of control, spending 10 minutes to write them down on a list of what I actually have to do is really clarifying for me. A dorky one is Lego sets. I love doing Lego sets. Um, it's one of my turndown techniques where most of my life doesn't have clear instructions. It doesn't have clear steps. So like be a good dad, be a good husband, be a writer, be a speaker. There's not steps, but when I get a huge Lego car and it's 4,000 pieces and there's a book that I can follow with instructions, it's, it's meditative for me. Some people it's knitting, some people it's gardening. So what we encourage parents to do is figure out those for your kids. So like, I know that McCray likes to run, but when she's stressed, she might forget that and she might lose access to those. So, Hey, why don't we go on a one mile run? Why don't we get some fresh air? Like that's a turndown technique for you. Or why don't you reach out to this friend? That's a turndown technique for you. Mm -hmm. My oldest daughter, Ellie playing the piano. That's one of hers. She has a piano. She loves to play. She's taken lessons forever, but they're really casual lessons. She just does it for joy. She's bringing her piano to college. She goes to college in about a week and we bought her one that slides under a bed, not because she's going to major in it or take classes in it, but because when she has stressful moments, putting on the headphones, because she can plug in, she's the only one that hears it and playing piano is a great turndown technique for us. So that's one of the things we encourage people to do is figure out your turndown techniques, write mm -hmm. them on a list. So the next time you go out, like life just went to a nine. I got a flat tire. I missed an appointment. The podcast didn't work. My kids are in a terrible mood. And you go, oh, I need to do one of those five things or I need to do one of those 10 things to yeah. turn the dial down a little bit. I have been looking for simple ways to form healthy habits and get the nutrients my body needs when my immune system feels unsupported. And that's why I decided to give AG1 a try. 
Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and more, but it's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel nourished and ready to face the day. As a parent, longevity is on my mind more than ever before. I want to make sure I'm taking really good care of myself so I can continue to show up for the moments that matter with my kids. Every day, AG1 helps me build long-term health with daily nutrients that support brain, gut, and immune health. All it takes is one scoop a day, and I'm setting myself up for the long run. AG1 is a supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why I'm excited to welcome them as a new partner. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash 1000. That's drinkag1.com slash 1000. Check it out. Everyone wants to start their year off on the right foot. And for me, that means making sure I'm eating well and have enough energy to do everything I want to do. But I'm not going to run to the butcher every day to get a fresh cut of quality meat. That's why Good Chop is such a lifesaver for our family. Good Chop offers fully customizable boxes of high quality meat and seafood delivered to your door on your schedule. Their products are vacuum sealed and frozen at peak freshness. So you can stock your freezer and cook when you want. We had a somewhat last minute get together recently and it was so incredibly convenient to just head to the freezer and pull out a couple bags of Good Chops hamburger patties to whip up some burgers quickly. They were so delicious. Besides being delicious, it's important to know it won't cost you a fortune either. Good Chops price per meal starts at just $3.74. Go to goodchop.com slash outside120 and use code outside120 to get $120 off across your first four boxes. That's code outside120 at goodchop.com slash outside120 for $120 off. Goodchap.com slash outside120 code outside120. Yeah, I bought too many Skittles for my event. Yeah, I, like <laughs> I failed tremendously. I need like, and that's one for me where writing is one of my turndown techniques. So in that moment, what did I do? I shared the photo and I wrote it out. I didn't try to hold it all in my head and go, good luck, head, figure that out. I wrote it out and I found a way to help other people with it. Yeah. So it's amazing what happens, how encouraged you get when you encouraged others. Like it yeah. becomes, it becomes cyclical. And so, yeah, that's one of my turndown techniques. So sharing it removed a lot of the shame and it, it really helps me process it. The Lego thing is really intriguing to me because they're, they are, you can see it. They're coming out with Legos. It seems like they're for adults, right? There's Seinfeld yeah. Legos. I've the seen office. all sorts of, right. And so we're in this world that's becoming, I think, increasingly chaotic with the job market and, and life is less systematic. So you almost yeah. wonder if a lot of people are drawn to that and that, that might, oh, like, I that's think why so. they're coming out with those different Legos for adults. I think so. It's funny. I'll talk about that when I do leadership events. And um, now the clients will send me Lego sets after, and which is like my dream. Like I found a way to create a job where people mail me Lego sets. Like it's the greatest. No <laughs> guidance counselor told me I could do like, Holland just was like, I'll hold one up. I, I came home from an event yesterday and this was in my, this was on my front porch and it's the that new Ferrari. So cool. 
And it's ridiculous. It's like 4,000 pieces. And I don't even know which client sent it to me. Like, I'm going to have to go on a scavenger hunt to be like, who? And it was so fun. And I like, I absolutely, yeah. and now like I'll thank clients with small sets. Like, so I had a client the other day that he said, I read your book. The reason you're here at this event is I read your book when I lived in Tokyo about doing over your career and I changed my career. Now I'm with this company. So I brought you here to speak. So I sent him um, the Tokyo skyline. Lego has mm -hmm. a one that's the Tokyo skyline and that's versus like a random thing. Like here's a pen like that, that, you know, like, like something that maybe an adult, yeah, that says John Acuff <laughs> on it. Like you're going to throw it in a drawer. And so, yeah, I, for me, I do see other adults that do that. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I think it's a lot of it's being curious. And I think part of your job as a parent is to help your kids see those things about themselves. Mm -hmm part of your job as a parent is to throw fuel on their strengths and their curiosities, not yeah. to, not for performance, not for perfection, but to go, Hey, that thing, that thing you're interested in, let's, let's spend some more time doing that. Or let's pull the thread a little bit about not suffocate you with it. I think that's a mistake parents make is like when their five-year-old is into art, they're like, you're an artist. And then every birthday, every Christmas is all art, all art, all art. And then like, by the time they're 11, the kid hates crayons. He's like, I'm over art. And so I think it's a dance. A lot mm -hmm. of parenting to me is a dance, but I think it's, it can be really fun when you find something your kid loves. Mm -hmm. And it goes along with what you said earlier, their lists are different. Ellie and McCray's lists are different. And that's yeah. how, I mean, I don't like to write. When you say writing is a turned down technique, I'm like, oh, that's, that's nice. <laughs> yeah, that's torture for me. Yeah, <laughs> no, is. Yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some people, I know people that like Excel spreadsheets and Excel spreadsheets might as well be called like panic attack. Like if right. I get into an Excel spreadsheet and they're like, you got to do a macro, I'm like, oh, I don't know how to, but some people like my CPA is like, I love making numbers make sense. And I'm like, if I see more than four numbers in a row, high mm -hmm. stress. So yeah, every, you only need to have two kids to realize they come to the planet with different brains right. and what motivates them, what excites them. Like the joke I always do is like, if you punish an introvert kid with more alone time, they're like, Oh no. Like if you tell an introvert kid, go to your room and spend some time by yourself. They're like, Oh, what torture. Like they're in the room. Like, yeah, mm -hmm. this is the best where if you, you know, if you tell an extrovert kid that they're like, okay, what do I need to do? I need to change his behavior. This mm -hmm. sounds like torture. So I, I think it's really funny uh, to see how different kids are different. Yeah. And it's interesting. Those are interesting to look for those dial down techniques is an interesting lens to learn about your children and to yeah. learn about other people as well. I love that as a concept. And um, there's this author, Kim John Payne, he wrote a book called Simplicity Parenting. And he's talking about turning down the faucet that our kids in general, their, their lives are really overloaded. And we have to know how to dial it back. He said, either you're going to dial it back or you're going to be spending their entire childhood mopping up spillage. You have to yeah. make the choice. So to have this yeah. list and to be aware is such a great reminder and a good motivator. I think it's great. I'm going to, I'm going to make a list for my kids. What, what helps them to dial it down? Well, you know, it's an interesting one. I, uh, I was talking to a parent of five teenage boys and she said they were having some troubles and they were talking to a counselor and the counselor said, with teenage boys, we forget how hungry they are. Cause as parents, like we're making different food choices. We're trying to watch our metabolisms, whatever. And she said, so if they're, if you're having a big argument, if you're having a tough session, feed them more, like it's hard for them to be rude when their mouths are full of food, like, and, and the Ooh, parent tried it. 
Yeah. The parent tried it and it changed things mm -hmm. because the kids so hungry, so growing. And all it was, was, Oh yeah, I made a cake and we had cake available or I, I made, there was more food available. So it's funny to see the little, like, so a teenage boy might go, you know what? Like Taco Bell is a turned down technique for me. Mm -hmm. And you as a parent might go, Hey, we're trying to really be deliberate about what you eat. Like, that's fine, but they're growing like crazy and more food in the house might be one of those things that helps turn yeah. them down. That's a really good idea. I love it, John. In the switch versus dial concept came up again in the in the enough section. Enough yeah. is a myth. And mm -hmm. you mentioned that briefly at the beginning, but that was also a section that really sparked my interest and got me thinking. So can you talk about that a little bit? The the concept of enough is a myth? Yeah. So it's really this idea of like, okay, there's this thing I can achieve when I'll know I'm enough. Like there's a moment where as a teenager, like if I do this, then I'll feel enough. And the problem with life is that it always moves. Like, so what happens is you go, if a teenager says, if I get 50 likes on this photo, then, then I'll be enough. And they get 50 likes and they realize, you know, a hundred, like somebody else got a hundred on theirs or it didn't go viral. Like, and you realize teens are so manicuring their Instagram feeds because they're deleting things that don't get enough attention. They're falling, you know, it's such a, like, we as parents use Instagram, but there's so many layers to it that teens are adding that, yeah. that we have no idea about. So it's that sense of how do you determine what your enough is? Like one, the, the big capital enough is a myth. You're not going to reach it. Parents don't reach that. I mean, we all know people that go, yeah, as soon as I make this amount of money, then, and then they, they reach it and it's, it's not. And then you go, well, what about, and you go, okay, like, how can that 82 year old CEO be unwilling to step down from power? Like, how can they, and they go, well, there's no enough. Like they're gonna, they're gonna, like they're missing that they miss their kids. They miss their wife. They're on marriage seven. And you go, well, how did they, cause they, they believed in enough. And now they spent 60 years trying to, trying to change it. Like, and a leadership expert told me about that exact situation. A guy named Marshall Goldsmith who coaches CEOs. He said, it's better to leave a year early than a week late. And what he meant was you as a CEO, it's better to, for you to retire a year early than a week late. Cause if you stay too long chasing the enough, you don't prepare the organization, you make a lot of mistakes. There's a lot of ego involved. So I think enough is something that's very human. So if we can teach our kids that lesson, then it's going to serve them for the rest of their life. Because mm -hmm. I can tell you right now, my first job, what I made annually, I've, I've, you know, X that multiple times, but my happiness didn't scale at the same rate. So if I had said, okay, Jenny, this is how much I make. And if I triple that, if I quadruple that, if I quintuple that, my happiness, my fulfillment, my sense of well-being will follow that too. And it hasn't. Mm -hmm. So as an adult, you come to a point where you go, I either have to admit that and do something else mm -hmm. and, and learn how to have my own self-value, learn how to not put my identity in my book sales or my success or whatever, mm -hmm. and find it in something else. Or I have to lie to myself and go, now, what if it was more books? Like, what if it was double book? Like, what if it like, mm -hmm. as if the next thing, and then you keep chasing enough. So that's yeah. the, that's the principle is how do we teach kids enough is a myth is at that age, because mm -hmm. they're going to face it for the rest of their life. Yeah, that's fascinating. I'm reading this book called Do, it's called Do Nothing, I think. And it's about how when you make more money, then your time feels more valuable and you have a harder time doing nothing. Oh yeah, because you know the value of the time and you've monetized yeah. every minute. And so yeah. you can't, 
if somebody's like, Hey, let's have a long, slow walk. You're like, mm, what's the point? What, what kind of progress are we talking about? And relationships. So my counselor said to me, like, how do you stay high performing and not roll all over people? How do you maintain kindness? And that's one of the things we talked about where like there's sections of my life where I'm very deliberate about progress, but relationships isn't one of them. Because what happens is I, I go on a walk with a friend and when you're so focused on progress, you're like, okay, well, let's get to the heart stuff fast. Let's go, let's go. Like, and you end up asking like, I've done this before. We're like, we go on a walk and I go, tell me about your deepest troubles this week. And that is not like, I've skipped all intimacy levels of like, Hey, it's so good to see you. What's going on. You know, like, and I'm like, cause we got to make sure this is valuable. We got to get the heart stuff right away. I got 30 minutes. We got to go deep immediately. And that's not real. And it's me trying to go. I want to make sure I get the most out of this walk. And so I think there's sections of your life where you go, playing with my kids, I'm not going to, I'm not going to try to get the most out of that. And I think where parents struggle with that is where they want it to be meaningful. The times, I mean, there's been many times, one of the times I've blown it with my kids is where I try to force meaning onto something that's just about motion, or I've tried to force like a moment onto something that's just about being present. And I've tried to go like really deep with them where they just need me to be present, or they just want to throw the Frisbee. Like we're just throwing the Frisbee and we're going to, we might throw it for 50 times or maybe time 51, a question comes up or something happens. But if I force that, they feel like I'm, I'm trying, I'm treating them like, like a project and a kid right. doesn't want to be a project. Right. Um, Molly DeFrank has a book called Digital Detox. And she says in that book that it takes seven minutes to get to the heart of a conversation, something like that. Yeah. I thought who figured that out? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd love to see. Yeah, yeah. I love the, that's, that's it. I'd love to believe that. Um, I don't know. I don't know if I've ever had that be, that'd be fast for me. Like I, I feel yeah. like there's times for me, it's, it sometimes takes six months, six months of walking together. Mm -hmm. And then like, there's something that comes up and I've, I've prepared that. Or like there's friends of mine that we've walked together for years and they go through a divorce and I get the sense of like, mm -hmm. Oh, we built this foundation for five years for this. Like yeah. this is, it wasn't that I, I showed up out of nowhere and I walked them through that. It was like, oh, we, this is a half a decade. So yeah, I'm, I'm apparently very slow at, at uh, getting to the heart of A little of longer things. than seven minutes. Yeah. Well, John, your book, this, your book with your daughters is, so they really, they wrote it and you edited it, edited yep. it. Your new playlist, the student's guide to tapping into the superpower of mindset. You get Legos in the mail. I get these uh, pre- Advanced, advanced copy cover. books. Yeah. This yeah. is actually my dream. Isn't come it true. great though? Like yeah. you get boxes of books, dude. That's amazing. <laughs> it's fantastic. Yeah. I love it. Your your daughters and they're talking about promposals and they're talking yeah. about social media. They're talking about the things yeah. that you and I did not experience. And how can our kids go through what culture is like for them? and to not become overthinkers to a point that it's a detriment in their life. And so it's a fantastic book. It comes out September 13th. This podcast will air. People will be able to get it that awesome. day. And you have a lot of other things to offer. So on your website, it's acuff.me, A-C-U-F-F.me. Tell us about your courses real quick. Sure. And you got a podcast. Yeah, so I have a podcast called All It Takes is a Goal, where I talk to people about the goals they're working on, the things they're excited about. Um, and so I just, I'm a goal nerd. I love goals. Um, I feel like a goal is the fastest path between where you are today and where you want to be tomorrow. So how does, what does it look like to have a goal as a parent at, with my kids? I would say that most people do a pretty good job having goals for most of their life, but most people don't 
do goals for their relationships. We hope hmm. that our parenting and our relationships kind of happen organically. So there was a time where I realized I want my family to get the best of me, not the rest of me. I don't want them to get the rest of what I have left over at the end of the day, at the end of work, at the, at the end of my real goals. And so that's how I look at life is, okay, what is, what is a parenting goal look like? What is it? What's a goal I can have with my kid? What's a goal I can have with my wife? Um, the courses, I have a course uh, about soundtracks. We do these video courses because there's a lot of people that go, all right, I want to see video lessons. I want a workbook. I, I like to learn this way. Um, mm -hmm. And so we have six part series where it, We'll walk you through soundtracks. We have one about finishing goals. Um, that's really fun because you know how it is. Like this is we're we're all learning in different ways, and we all have tools that we never had. You twenty years ago, you and I couldn't have done this conversation. Right. And so yeah, so that's what the courses are about: um, is helping people walk through some tactical, practical things to learn how to finish goals or learn how to change their mindset. Yeah, and the podcast episode the titles are so intriguing: four mistakes public speakers make and how you can avoid them five stupid, simple steps to jumpstart a healthier life. Master the art of your craft is about comedy. Um, well, with the comedian. Yeah, yeah. Well, my thing is that I love, I, there's, there's self-help or nonfiction or leadership advice, parenting advice that is technically true, but not practically true. Mm -hmm. I don't like things where the, like I read a book that was like, you should, if you want to accomplish something, spend your first two hours every day working on it. That's technically true. If you did that, that would technically help. What person on the planet can say to their family, hey, I'm going to spend the first two hours today working on my stuff. So if you could not bother me at all, even though I'm mom, even though I'm dad, like I don't like books that do that. So all the content I try to create is I try to find an idea and I try to simplify it, simplify complicated things. Mm -hmm. mindset is complicated it feels fuzzy holistic like you're gonna get in a drum circle like and i go oh how do i simplify it and then how do i make it tactical and practical so that a real parent on a tuesday can do something with it a real parent on a friday night when their kid comes home late can can learn a question that they can ask their kid that'll open up conversation like that's what that's the content i try to do so a lot of my podcast titles reflect that where i'm going here's real things you can do that are fun that are simple mm -hmm. and that are that are tactical yeah, very practical. I love it. John, we always end our podcast with um, a favorite memory from your childhood that was out in nature. Um, so the we, my family moved to Massachusetts from uh, North Carolina. We lived in a place called Ipswich and Ipswich is on the North Shore of Massachusetts. And it's, it's everything you think of New England. It's orchards. There's a castle on the beach called Crane's Castle. There's, you know, they would hold the prom at the castle. Like, and we would have um, so many days where we would go to that beach, but in, this is back in the eighties, at the end of school, like one of the last days of school, we would have a beach day and you could ride your bike to the beach. And just that moment of being like, um, you know, you wouldn't get in the water. Like you don't get in the water in New England because it's two degrees. It's probably, it's like, it's like Lake Michigan, like some of the lakes in Michigan look like the Caribbean. Mm -hmm. And then you put a toe in and you're like, this is nonsense. So that's one of my favorite childhood memories is the three years we lived in Ipswich mm -hmm. and having access to, to a beach like that was just so perfectly quintessential New England. Oh, I love it. Well, thanks, John, your new playlist. The Student's Guide to Tapping into the Superpower of Mindset, written by your daughters, edited by yep. you, coming out September 13th. Thanks for spending this time with us. And really, yeah. this is so inspiring. The book is inspiring, but certainly just any time to rub shoulders with you and, and hear your wisdom is as well. So thank you. I really appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me, Jenny. 
Hey, are you a parent of a teenager? Are you feeling overwhelmed about how to be what they need while also holding limits and boundaries that keep them safe? Are you tired of conversations that negate how messy this season of parenting is? Well, I've got you. My name is Casey O'Rourke. I am a positive discipline trainer, parent coach, and the host of the Joyful Courage podcast. Every week I come to you with an interview, digging into tough topics with experts I trust and solo shows that go deep into the personal growth and mindset needed to raise teens in a way that grows them into confident, capable young people. I am not afraid of getting real about the intersection of conscious parenting and the teen years, while also bringing in vulnerability, humor, and lightness. I'm walking the path with you and honored to serve. Listen to Joyful Courage on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you consume podcasts.